is not just because we want to grow and become this hard, large mega church that rules the world. That's not our master plan. Uh, uh, we love having new people because it challenges us to use the mission that God has called us, which he says, I want you as a church to love this world one person at a time where they're at. And people come in week in and week out. We're one of, one of the uh, blessed churches in town to have a lot of new people come and see what God's doing. And so when you come in and you're new, it's our challenge to try and love you um, where you're at by, with God. So welcome. Thank you so much for coming. If you are new and you'd like to see more about our church, we have an umbrella back there. Go back into the community corner and say I'm new and um, they'll shake you down for a bunch of info. And uh, Get your PIN number, social security card, and uh, your 401k, and then we'll have a great relationship. That's a joke for some of you. I was just kidding. You can stay. Just kidding. Hey, uh, you know, my hope is this summer that if you've been around for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, that you'll get involved. I think that it's important that if you call this place your home, if you call any church Wherever you decide to go to church that you should get involved. And maybe you're just visiting and I'm telling you from your other pastor that you should get involved. It's important that we get involved at church. It's critical. And the reason why is because it allows us to become complete and whole in Christ. So how do we get involved? We can do that by serving. Yesterday we had a serve day. There was 2,000 people all across Ventura County serving and we participated in that. There's a bunch of fellowship happening after church this week. Uh, My buddy Jim Johnson's been texting me thinking they're going to beat us pretty handily. He's probably seen us play softball so he knows how bad we really are. But if you do want to come, there's going to be hamburgers and hot dogs. You don't need to bring anything, but you can come. That's a way to fellowship. We are a church that loves to worship. We have unbelievable worship. Jeremy is one of the pastors. Jeff Foss. We have just great worship here. And also celebrating. We're going to celebrate our fifth birthday. And come to find areas in your life where you can be taught. You know, we do this and there's some teaching. There's teaching on Wednesday here. Uh, There's Bible studies. That's how you can get involved. And when we get involved and we commit on a higher level to God, we start shedding old behaviors. We start shedding old mindsets and old lifestyles. And we start pressing into this new place. And I believe God wants us to take a step together to make better decisions, better choices, and to live a different life, a life more honoring to him and uh, and a lifestyle more of a blessing to this world. I'm pretty excited about this summer. We've got a lot of things going on. We're going to be sending a, a, a people uh, many different places throughout the summer. We're going to be sending our kids to camp, which is pretty exciting. We are a church that loves to send kids to camp. Uh, a lot of missionary trips. But we're also going to do this series called Nameless to Notice. And I'm pretty stoked upon this. Every summer, my buddy Jeremy was singing, designs most of the most of the series. And he's come up with this series called Nameless to Notice. And we're going to look at stories in the Bible that are people that have no name in the Bible. I'm sure they have a physical name, but we don't know it. And they get noticed by things that are happening around their life. So pretty excited about this series. And uh, today we're going to talk about the widow's offering or the widow's mites. But before we get started each and every week for the next 12 weeks, I want to kind of give one of the unsung heroes a, 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 a thank you for all they do. My buddy Brad, I think we got a picture. He's uh, up there in the camera room right now. Um, 
he, Brad came a couple of years ago, his wife Toby and his daughter Casey, they're just a blessing to the church. Brad's putting the signs out and doing a lot of stuff and maybe you don't see him, but he's got a passion for this and he came waiting for two years for us to get to this ministry. So thanks Brad for all you do. He's one of those unsung heroes that should get noticed and we want to make sure that we notice him. So this summer, as we go on this series called Nameless to Notice, we're going to tell all kinds of great stories in the Bible who people that necessarily don't have names, but they are noticed and God puts them into his plan. And his plan is a biblical plan that we open up and read and say, there's something about this person that we should learn from. So these are some of the stories. So here's what I want to do. And uh, I want to ask somebody who in here has had 15 minutes of fame? Who have had 15 minutes of fame where 100,000 or multiple millions of people have saw them on TV or internet or, you know, got arrested or whatever they did and everybody saw them? Who? Raise your hand if that's you. Go ahead and tell us what. 30 seconds or less. You got to tell us what happened. When I was 13, I was on the gong show with my I love, I love the gong show. I love that. Doesn't you guys love the gong show? Michelle, what do you have? <laughs> nice. So here's the thing. We've had some 15 minutes of fame. These things where multiple people have seen us and we've got noticed. The stories that we're going to talk about are nothing like that. That was a joke. So went over pretty well. The point is these aren't 15 minutes of fame kind of people. There are people that have gone down in history for doing great and mighty things like this widow's, uh, they offers two mites. Powerful, powerful. Let me share with you some of my first name. I've been written up in the, in the paper and done some things as well. I've got some good things and I've got a lot of bad things. If you want to look at the San Jose uh, Mercury News, you'll find a bunch of bad things. But I do got some good things. I was a golfer uh, growing up when golfing wasn't popular. And I was in 10th grade, and I, I was a four-year letterman. I was a pretty decent golfer. And uh, I was playing in a golf tournament, and I happened to be, after about eight or nine holes, about two or three under, and I'm playing like Servite, Modern Day, San Juan Capistrano, these huge schools, and this little scrawny kid is beating all these big schools. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there's all these reporters, the Anaheim Bulletin, Orange County Register, the LA Times, and then there was another uh, paper there. And they started talking to me and asked me, where are you from? Who are you from? How come we've never heard of you? How come you're leading? And I'm like, I've never had this kind of attention at all. And what happened was, if you want to show the picture, uh, here's my picture. It's on the front page of the LA Times. And uh, I'm the guy that's standing here like this. My notice is that I've actually, after about three or four holes of all these reporters following me, I start choking. I hit a couple out of bounds. I went two under and I scored 10 over on the back. And all of a sudden, I was the laughing stock. And the, the headlines, this is actually back of the page, but the headlines on the, uh, the LA Times said, you need a 40-year-old mind and a 17-year-old body to play good golf, right? Because this guy watched me fall apart. My mind was shattered and frazzled. And, you know, and so that's my claim to fame. That's my golf career. And I, I actually, uh, pretty embarrassing, by the way. Can they not take a better picture than that? So anyways, let's take that off the screen. <laughs> Praise. Yeah, pray for me. Thanks. Shattered experience in golf. Well, this summer we're going to talk about um, these stories that bring uh, fame to people that we can't even really name. 
Bible stories that are nameless, but we will see God use these nameless people like today to give us a powerful and wonderful message to help us all transition into a new place, to move us into a new place. And, 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 and by doing that, we have an opportunity to see how much God cares for us. Do you guys know that God cares for you deeply and he knows you? personally, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. This summer, our memory verse is going to be Psalm 139, 1 through 3. We, we have this verse that we use throughout the whole series so that you can actually go away with something saying, yes, that was a series with this memory verse. Listen to this memory verse. 139, 1 through 3 says, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know me when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Throughout the summer, I hope that you grab a hold of that. And that has so much more meaning by the end of the 12-week series that we go through. That it will, uh, You'll understand that. And you'll have moments while you're in church where you start to feel that. And maybe even weep and cry and want to dance and celebrate that God knows you personally. Amen? So today we're going to talk about the widow's might or the widow's offering. And if you've heard the story, will you do me a favor? Will you kind of just put on pause or freeze or even delete what you know about it? Because I want to take a fresh look at it today. I want to teach from a different perspective on it so that you can see what God wants, uh, the deep, the deepness or the depthness of this story. Does that make sense? Is that even a word? I tend to make a lot of words. Since I've been a pastor, I have this like dictionary of Jeffisms. It's been going in infamy. I think I'm the first one that coined in Camarillo, Camarians. So it's one of my, one of my famous words. So anyways, forgive me. The other thing I want to do today is I want to talk about why we teach Sunday service this way versus why we teach differently on Wednesdays. On Wednesday nights, we come in here and we have a Bible study, we have worship, and before all of that, we have a meal. If you haven't come, it's called The Gathering. We gather in the name of Jesus Christ. We have a meal, we have a kids program, we have a junior high program, and we got round tables, and we do a little bit of teaching, we do a talking around the table, it's pretty powerful. And we teach verse by verse, we're going through the book of Acts. So if you haven't come, come check it out, grab a meal. And uh, hang out with us. On Sundays, though, uh, we actually pray, God, will you take a piece of scripture out of the living Bible and will you present it in a way that this congregation can grow closer to Christ? That's pretty awkward if you think about it. This week, I thought uh, at the beginning of the week, I was going to teach a completely different verse. And by Thursday and Friday, God said, I want you to do the widow's mic. And so basically I started rewriting the message because this is what God wants to talk about. And it's how Jesus taught. We believe Jesus teaches that way. Listen to what Matthew 13 uh, verses 10 to 13 talks about. At one point, Jesus is telling people and they ask him, well, how do you teach and why do you teach? He goes, I teach in parables. I tell stories so that people that know me understand me and people who don't know me. We'll, we'll, we'll try and figure out and understand more about me. And also in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, there's an interesting thing on how Jesus teaches. Here's what it says in Luke 4, 16 and 17. Jesus goes back home. It's like Jeremy Kay's going away and then coming back to Camarillo. And he goes before 
his people, he says he went to Nazareth where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was custom. So Jesus goes to the synagogue and he stood up to read the scrolls of the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him. So basically he receives the word of God. He opens it. And then what does it say at the bottom? Unrolling the, the scroll, he found the place where it was written. And then he says, I came to proclaim the good news to the poor, to release the captives free and to release the oppressed as well. But here is what he says. He says he opened up the word of God and he goes, oh, this is what God wants to talk about. And that's what he used. And that's what we do on Sunday. And I think it's important that our congregation understands that we pray over the word and ask, Lord, what do you want us to use? So today, if you'll stand, here's the message that God wants us to have. It's from Mark chapter 12, verse 41 uh, to 44. Says Jesus sat down on the opposite place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting the money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw large amounts, but but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of the poverty, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you are. We ask for your name to be glorified. We ask for you to work in a way through all of us that we can see you and that we can understand you. Teach and minister to all of us. Use me as a vessel so we can grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So today we're going to talk about the widow's might. And I just want to give you some context where we're at in the Bible so that you know. If you ever watch, if you're like watching the Bible idea at the beginning of the series or any of the shows that you watch, they usually do like a 30 second or minute minute catch up. You know, like, hey, this is what's happened the previous 27 weeks, if you've missed it, and then you can be right into the show. Well, let me give you a little bit of context. What's being written around this verse so that you have a better understanding? In Mark chapter 12, um, in the book of Mark, there's 16 chapters. It's the shortest of the Gospels, and there's a lot of miracles and a lot of action. That's what the book of Mark is really about. Now, in Mark chapter 12, all the miracles will no longer be talked about. They're all already been presented. And beyond that, uh, the actions of Jesus take a different turn. It takes a different uh, 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 place. And what happens is the action that Jesus does from chapter 12 to the end is Jesus is preparing himself as a sacrificial lamb for, for you and I and for this world. So his actions are now preparing himself to become this holy sacrifice for all of mankind. So that's kind of what's happening from this part in the Bible. And in chapter 12, I just want to give you a little bit of synopsis of what's going on in chapter 12. At the beginning of chapter 12, there's a bunch of religious leaders asking Jesus questions. He's like, they want to know why is this and why that? And one of the things that Jesus does is he teaches in parables. And at the beginning of, of, of Mark 12, uh, the religious leaders, he, Jesus starts telling the religious leaders a story about this evil farmer. A, landla- a landlord comes in, rents out the farm. The farm starts growing stuff. And when the harvest comes due, the landowner sends uh, uh, somebody to come and collect his portion. They beat him up and they send him away. The landowner sends back another person to get their portion. He gets killed. And finally, the landowner says, these evil farmers surely won't kill my son. 
and they end up killing their son. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees realized that they were talking about him and they tried to kill Jesus. So that's the beginning. The next part, the next story that Jesus tells is where it says, pay Caesar what is Caesar's. And pay, give God to what is God's. That's the next story that he tells. And then they ask him about resurrection. And so Jesus tells a story about what resurrection and what heaven's like. And then finally a verse that's really uh, powerful to this church is Mark 12, 30 and 31. Where somebody asks, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, you need to love God with basically everything you have. And love others as you love thyself. And, and, and then we get into the story of the widow's might. So that's where we're at in the Bible. That's your little debrief. And, and here's the usual teaching that we have in this particular type of scripture. It's usually a teaching about tithing and giving God all your money. He, it's a shakedown. So that's why I got this bucket up here. At the end of the service, we're just going to put the bucket and keep passing it until you guys are broke. That's how we roll here. So... If you're new, thanks for coming. <laughs> Man, I always do that. Can I just be honest and serious for one moment? But here's the deal. Uh, this story, the usual teaching about this is trying to give God everything you possibly have. And today, at the end of the message, I hope you'll see that, that there's a different thing to this story. And that God wants a lot more than just our money. I hope you'll see that today. But here's the usual teaching. Mark 10 uh, verses 20 and 21, there's a story about this rich young man. And these two stories usually can go hand to hand when you teach it because the widow's might is a little shorter. He doesn't need to have that much. And this rich young man comes to Jesus and says, how can I be this great, amazing follower of God? And Jesus turns to him and said, yeah, it's simple. Follow the Ten Commandments. And he says, well, I've done that my whole life. I've done the Ten Commandments. And he says, oh, okay. Well, here's one more thing. And here's what it says in verse 20 and 21. It says, Jesus said, you lack one thing. He said, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And then come follow me. The rich young ruler goes and he looks like this, like I did in my golf picture, humbled and says, I can't do that because obviously he was rich and he didn't want to give all that God wanted. Jesus said, well, if you really want to do something, give everything you have and come follow me. That's the general teaching of what we see in the widow's might today. And it's a powerful teaching, but it's usually for tithing. Today, we're going to take a fresh approach. So join with me, erase what you know about the widow's mites, and let's take a look about this nameless widow who gets noticed by God. Verse 41 says, Jesus sat down at the opposite place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts of money. So if you're rich, let's take this offering. Okay. So here we see this, and I want to kind of just talk about this is an audacious place in the Bible. Because all of a sudden, can you imagine what it would look like if Jesus watched every one of your offerings? He probably does. But if you can imagine him walking through the aisles and saying, how much are you going to give? He's sitting at the temple treasury. It'd be like him sitting at the church watching you write your check or pulling money out of your wallet. He wants to see what people are giving. But the truth is, only God can do that. Humans want to do that. We want to have control over that. We want that. But the truth is, only God should be able to look and judge and communicate that. But it is a scary thing to think about. What does he say when I give my money in the offering or maybe don't give my money? But here's what I want you to think about that. Jesus isn't watching about what you give. He's looking at your heart 
and he's asking, he's watching what you keep for yourself. He's asking, what portion are you keeping and where is your heart on that? Is it greedy? Is it selfish? Is it about whatever you're trying to do or however you're saying? He's watching your heart and wants to know what you're keeping it for. And that's what he's doing here. And you'll see as the story unfolds. It's something that we should understand. He's watching us and seeing where our heart is. The story also tells us that that the rich people gave large amounts of money. What does that mean at all? Well, Jesus doesn't condemn you being rich. Jesus actually is fine with you being rich. He's actually saying it's a good thing here for you to be rich. He approves of it. There's nothing wrong with people being extremely wealthy. It just depends on how they're living their life and how they're giving to God and promoting his kingdom. So let's move on. There's a picture here that we can talk about. We're going to move into the widow and you can see Jesus in the corner there. He's watching as the widow comes up. Verse 42 says, but a poor widow came and put two very small coins worth only a few cents in the offering. Now, here's the thing. If you if you've ever seen some of these coins, they're very small. The mites are very small. I think we have a picture of these coins right here. They're very small in their hand. They might look like a, a, a couple of dimes. They're lighter than dimes. And, and that's what the widow puts into the offering here. Now, here we see as the story kind of unfolds, this widow getting noticed by Jesus. He watches her and he sees her put these two small coins. And because of her heart, he notices, notices her and sees where her heart is. It's pretty powerful. Let me give you a kind of a... Of, of what this means. So back in those days, you might have some purse strings. They didn't have wallets or, you know, so they'd come out and they would pull their purse out and they would do the offering. And the offering was kind of a, if you look at the next picture, their offering is kind of like a vase. It's a vase with a bottleneck and then it opens up into the treasury. That's what it looks like. And when you pour your money in, it would make some sort of noise. So here's my offering. I'm going to Jerusalem. So I've been saving up. This is my Jerusalem uh, savings right here. It's about $2.80. And so the, the, the person would walk up and they would dump their offering into the treasure and it sounds something like that and as they poured it in you could hear the offering and you go wow that person put a lot of money in the offering that was a pretty substantial now the woman comes up and she puts in her two coins and you might not even be able to hear what she put in because it wasn't that big a deal but to christ it was a huge deal it was a huge deal. Listen to what it says in verse 43. Callies his disciples to him. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. At this particular moment, she has put more than all others. Because she looks at his heart. He calls them and says, hey, listen. Those that call themselves disciples of Jesus, let me tell you. And he brings his disciples over and he starts to show them, look at what this woman did. Verse 44 says, they gave out of wealth, Jesus says, but she out of poverty put everything, all that she had to live on in. Now, if you look at those two mites or two pennies or whatever you want to call it, it was worth, if we take it to, to 2015, it was worth about two bucks, maybe 250. She takes her last 250 or two bucks and puts it in the offering. Now, what can you do if you don't know where your next meal is coming from today? 
You don't have an idea where your money's going to come from today. You don't have any big job coming up. You don't have any uh, disability or unemployment. Would you put the $2 in the offering? Or would you go to Del Taco and buy six tacos, two for, or three for 99, and eat all the tacos? Or would you go to the grocery store? I like to cook, so I might go grab a bag of potatoes or beans and try and live off that for a few days. That might work. What would you do? That's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. Well, if we look at this story, what can we infer? What can we glean from this? What can we grab a hold of this? There's something, if we just look at this small, short story that we can infer. Number one is this, that Jesus knew each and every person that put something in the offering. How do we know that? Well, it says that he knew the rich person. Well, how does he know the rich person? He, he knew maybe because of the size, but he doesn't know. There's people in this church that aren't considered wealthy that I've seen give enormous amounts of money to God. Enormous amounts of money that aren't wealthy. So Jesus knows this couple or these people that are put in the offering are very wealthy. Jesus knows us personally. He has an understanding. He knows where you're at in life. He knows where I'm at in life. He knows where my frustrations are, my weaknesses, where my doubts are. And he wants you to grab a hold of that and understand how much he cares and knows you. He also understands where each and every person is when they give. He says the rich person gave out of their enormous wealth. When you have lots of money, it's not that hard to give, right? I I don't know. I don't have lots of money. It's not that hard. I don't ever have that problem. But it's easy to give when you love God and you don't care. You just want to give because God wants you to give. Now, Jesus tells us, That he also sees the widow's heart. He shows us that I understand her. And I understand what she just did. And she might have done one of the most amazing things that he's ever seen. Because she gave unconditionally. Not knowing where her next meal was going to come. Jesus sees us and knows us. Here's what it says in in our memory verse again. Let's kind of just go back to the memory verse. 139, 1 through 3. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. He understands where we're at. Listen, if you're here today and you're not whole and complete or you're lost or you're lonely or you're on the verge of divorce or somebody's getting ready to take your house or you're homeless right now, he understands. He knows exactly where you're at. He says, I know you personally. I know when you stand up. I know when you sit down. I know when you're far away. I know when you're traveling. I know you. And he wants you to have, uh, 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 he wants you to understand that and grab a hold of that. He says, I know everything that you do, how we give, where our heart is, where we give. And if we're selfish or selfless, if we're caring or careless, if we're hopeful or hopeless, Jesus knows. So let's ask some, let me ask a couple of questions. Why does this woman get noticed? If we look at this story, and I know we're, you know, you're worrying about, oh man, did I give enough? Did I go to serve day yesterday? And was I, what, do I do enough for God? I get that feeling. I have that myself. There's certain times I want to do more, and there's certain times I want to do less, but I get that feeling. But why does this woman, this widow, get noticed? The first thing she gets noticed for is because she trusts God. Do you trust God? 
She gets noticed because she trusts God. Why do we know that she trusts God? Well, she trusts God because God is faithful. But if she didn't trust God, why would she put everything she had into the offering? Right? Who on their right mind would give their last two bucks if they didn't trust God? It would make no sense. But she knows, we know, we can take from this story that she trusts God and she knows that God is faithful. This woman is extremely faithful, probably more faithful than you and I. Because if that was me and it was between my three girls and my wife and eating dinner tonight, I don't know if I would have the guts to do that. I just got to be honest. And maybe you're in that same place. Would you want to put that last offering and go, I don't know how we're going to eat, honey, but the church just got our money. It's a, it's a crazy place to think about it. But Jesus notices her. And then he says, look. And he brings his disciple and he uses her and says, look at what this woman just did. I know you can't see her heart, but I can. And I want to explain to you. She just did something amazing, something so powerful that people are going to talk about this For years to come. And he's using this message today for all of us to see that Jesus, uh, she trusted the Lord and trusted God. And because she is faithful and trusted God, she knew that God was going to do great and powerful things. And it's a great lesson for us. Listen to what Psalm 37, 3 says. And if she's a faithful woman and had been into the synagogue many times, she probably heard a psalm like this. She probably heard this psalm. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. If she had heard this psalm, she knew that if I just throw my two bucks in there, that God is, I'm going to trust him and it's going to be the right thing because I was always taught, one of the, one of the first messages I heard on tithing was, if you got a hundred bucks and you got a thousand dollar bill at the end of the week, and I know this sounds stupid, so to tell the old pastor, not me, but he said, give the hundred bucks to God because you got a better chance of having God provide than you trying to make that hundred bucks, you know, doing something illegal or something, right? Throw the hundred bucks and you got a better chance of God showing up and being faithful. And that's what we see at this woman. God wants us to do good. And when we do good, we will dwell in the land and we will cultivate faithfulness. The following verse that's not up on the screen says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. When we give and there's pain in the offering and there's, and it's not just giving money, but if you come and serve and you take six or seven hours out of your day to serve, there's pain and agony and back pain and pain in your hair. I painted yesterday at my friend Shelly's house and they were making fun of me saying I had gray hair because I had pain in my hair. But when we come back, it's, it's powerful and, and, and God wants to then fulfill our heart's desires. Do you want your heart's desires to be fulfilled? We got to trust in the Lord because he is faithful, just like the woman, the widow here. The second thing that we can glean or grab a hold of this is that she knew God would provide for her. This woman takes her last few bucks and says, you know what, I'm going to give this because I believe God is going to provide for me. How does she know that? Because it's a promise of God. God's got it written all over his word. Old Testament, New Testament. Sermons for the last 2,000 years saying, trust me, I've got you and I can be your provision. I can help you. I can provide more than you could ever imagine. And the truth is, I'm the living proof. I never wanted to be a pastor. My dream was not to be a pastor. My dream was something completely different. But God has been my provision And he's been my hope and he's brought me to this place. This isn't necessarily what I was supposed to do. 
But it's what God wanted me to do. And that's a big difference. And, and that's what we do. God is our promise and he is our provision. Now, think about this widow for a second. When you think about a widow uh, today, it's different than you think about a widow back 2,000 years ago. A woman couldn't own property. So this woman do- uh, husband dies and the next of kin would get the property. And if that next of kin's a good person, maybe he helps out. If not, he just takes the property and kicks her out. Right? There's no Medicare. There's no welfare. There's no, uh, you know, there's none of these safety nets that we have today. She's basically on her own. And even knowing that, if you've ever lost someone, if you're, you're here and you've lost someone, and, and, and I know we all have, there's many here, um, it's hard to, you know, not blame God. Right? But she doesn't blame God. You know, she's not like how we are today. Well, God, you took my livelihood. You took my husband, my property. Now I don't have anywhere to stay. And I, you know, and I've got these last two mites and I'm going to give you. She just says, I'm going to give it to you, Lord, no matter what I've lost. He gives and he takes away. But she goes, I know he's going to give me back tenfold or a hundredfold or a thousandfold in a hundred different ways. Not just a check that comes in the mail, but he could give her a place to stay, a place to work, whatever. And he can do uh, uh, great and mighty things that, are, that, 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 that can show the power of God. And that's what we need to grab a hold of is the power of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you're looking for some homework today, this whole thing talks about generosity. All of 2 Corinthians 9 talks about generosity. And in the very middle of the scripture, it says, it says, remember whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, but whoever sows generously, reaps generously, and he loves a cheerful giver. Those are the verses right before this verse. And he says, remember, however you give and however you sow, whatever you give and whatever you sow, do it generously and I will give back. And, 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 I, and then it says in verse 8, it says, and God will generously provide all you need. All you need. Everybody say all you need. All you need. Now make it about all I need. Okay, I got a little confusing there for a second. But he says that he provides all you need. And then it says there will be plenty over to share. There will be plenty left over. This woman knows this principle. And she's like, I'm going to drop my two mites in. Nobody's going to hear it. Nobody's going to see it. But God is going to see it. And because of that, I'm going to be noticed. And even though people don't know my name, this story is going to be one that teaches people year after year after year. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I'll give you the last one. The third thing that we can get from this message on why this woman got noticed is that she gave all that she had. What does that mean? Think about all that you have right now. Think about your provisions, your material stuff, your relationships. All that you have is what she said. She didn't have much. All that she had, she put into the offering. Why does she do that? One of the songs that we said was, because of your love, I freely give, right? She was crazy in love with God. Crazy in love with God. Are you crazy in love with God? Do you want to step into a new place this summer and be in love with God like you've never done before? Dancing with him in the middle of the night, singing with him in the middle of the road, looking like a fool, 
You ever seen that person? That's probably me driving, by the way. I got this little Honda. I sing really bad, but I crank up the worship, and these people look at me weird. I'm probably crying in there. Got snot dripping and doing this and all that. And But you know why? First of all, I don't care, but I love the Lord. And this woman gets this woman gets noticed because she's if she's a faithful woman she's probably read the scriptures and heard one of these scriptures first chronicles 16:28 and 29 says oh nations of the world what does that mean anybody everybody oh nations of the world recognize the lord recognize that the lord is glorious and strong Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. If we truly understood God, we would give more than you could ever imagine. If we truly understood who God was, and and if we could wrap our love around him, we would give the glory he deserves. It says, bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Because he loves you, we need to love him. How do we become crazy in love? Do you remember that first time you fell in love with your special someone and how crazy you were? They live in San Diego and they're working at Starbucks. No, I was just in the neighborhood. Drove three and a half hours just to get a two-minute drink, right? And then go, uh, I guess I'm going to go home now, right? We do crazy stuff like that when we're in love. I remember my wife. When we first started dating, we'd, been, we'd met. And instantly when we sat down at Coffee Bean in Camarillo, we knew we were going to get married. We were already talking crazy stuff. And about four weeks later, I went and played a golf tournament at Mazatlan. Another golf story, sorry. And, uh, and I was crazy in love with this woman. And I wanted to share at the end, if anybody's ever been to Mazatlan, as the sun goes down, everybody stops where they're at. And for 15 minutes, they just watch the sun go down. That's how everybody does in the whole city. Workers and everybody. And, and, and at the end, they're like, woo! And, and that's it. And that's the day. And then you wait for the next day. Well, I wanted to share that with Liz. So we're, we're, we've been together like four weeks. And we're talking marriage. And we're talking to blending families. And I said, I'm just going to call her the first night. And I'll just spend a little bit of time on the phone. It's going to cost a ton, so I won't. By the end of the week, I, I, it cost me 400 bucks. I spent so much time on the phone because I couldn't get off. And I kept saying, oh, I'm going to get off the phone. But listen what happened. And we were just talking. You know you know how you're crazy in love and you're on the phone at three at night? I know. I miss you too. It takes an hour to say goodbye. That's crazy love. We need to have that crazy love for God. The Apostle Paul writes about this love. And I want to challenge you today to say, do you have a one-dimensional or two-dimensional or a black and white love? Or do you have this living, powerful, three or four dimensional love of God? So deep, so powerful, so wide, so dynamic that it will change your life. Let's step into that place where God's love will be dynamic. God's love will be alive and you'll be able to feel it and walk in it. Listen to what Paul writes. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, like the woman did, the widow. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 
May you have the power to understand all God's people should know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. Do you understand that? When you read it on the page, it's not that powerful. But when you feel it, it should change your life. God's love is wide and long and deep and it's powerful and it can pull you out of the deepest pain or the deepest financial hole or spiritual hole or emotional deficiency and fill you up. Do you believe that today? And then Paul writes at the end of this prayer, he says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. If you don't understand it, forget about it. Just experience it and let that love shine upon you. Then you will be made complete in the fullness of life and the power that comes. If you're here today and you need a reboot for love, will you raise your hand? If you need to get that deep 3D, 4D, 7D type of love, raise your hand. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Let's pray. Father, you just saw the hands go up for people that need great love and want great love. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you will fill us all up today. We come to church and you will fill up our tanks and let us experience your love as we worship you. If there's someone here that wants that love for the first time or recommitting their life, there's a prayer of salvation that you can repeat after me. If that's you, say this prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Become my Lord and Savior forever. I believe that you died and that you rose again so that I may have life everlasting. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Come into my soul and teach me how to walk in your ways. Let me feel your love today, Lord. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Hey, today is Communion Sunday. We're going to do communion every week on Wednesday. We do communion, but every Sunday, once a month, we're doing communion. There's four tables up front and one in the back. And I just want to challenge you as you come up. There's a slide that I have up. It's the mindset for communion for me today is to thank God for what you have and trust God for what you need. The woman thanked God. She gave all that she had, but she trusted that no matter what, my next meal is going to come from God and not man-made things. She need, we need to have that attitude of gratitude, thanking God and trusting Him. And in Hebrews 13.5, it says this, Keep free from the love of money. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's the heart around it. Be content with what you have. Because God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. As you come up to communion today, as you celebrate and worship, remind yourself of what he did on the cross, why he did it, and that he will never leave you and he knows you very personally. Amen?